Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. In this series, we have been working our way through the book of Numbers. As we've seen, Numbers is a story about a community divided. While Moses and Aaron endeavor to unite the community in a common desire for the land of Canaan, the people become distracted by various whims and cravings. In the last episode, we saw prominent members of the community gather a mob to scapegoat Moses and Aaron within a mimetic crisis. However, their plans are thwarted when these people are slain by the primitive sacred, which allowed the crisis to continue. Today we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 16, verse 41. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord appeared, and Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire in it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the affair of Korna. And Aaron returned to Moses at the tent of meeting, when the plague was stopped. The failed scapegoating of Moses and Aaron allows the mimetic crisis to continue as it threatens to destroy the entire community. The primitive sacred desires to destroy the whole community, but Moses once more intervenes as their communal scapegoat. Moses instructs Aaron to take his censer and burn incense while standing between the dead and the living. By these means, Aaron makes atonement for the people. The idea of atonement is really quite slippery in the Hebrew Bible, or as Christians call it, the Old Testament. In some passages, the act of atonement appears to remove the impurity, while other times it removes guilt and sin. Although the exact nuances are complicated and hotly debated, atonement always removes danger of wrath and violence. In this passage, Aaron's incense appeases the primitive sacred, which brings an end to the mimetic crisis. In ancient thought, there was this idea that good smells attract divine favour while bad odours were associated with death. For example, at the end of the flood narrative in Genesis chapter 8, Noah attracts a divine blessing and the promise never again to flood the land by offering a sacrifice as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. When sacrifices are burnt and the smoke goes up to the sky, it is often described in these terms as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Here in Numbers chapter 16, the pleasing aroma of Aaron's incense offering appeases the primitive sacred and brings an end to the mimetic crisis. 
As Aaron stands between the dead and the living, the cloud of incense covers the rest of the community, enabling them to survive the Lord's wrath. This story presents Aaron as set apart from the rest of his community. Aaron and his sons possess the unique ability to pacify the primitive sacred and bring blessing through ritual and sacrifice. The message is clear. Israel must respect Aaron's office and follow the Mosaic law to avoid future outbreaks of mimetic violence. It is significant that Aaron halts a crisis without shedding blood. From a mimetic perspective, mimetic crises are always halted by allowing a channel for the community to vent their mimetic violence. Rampant imitation within the community prompts the people to band together against a common scapegoat who they blame for the crisis. As they pelt stones or lynch this person, they vent their collective rivalries and experience a profound sense of peace and tranquility. Yet Aaron's incense rite represents a new way of pacifying the primitive sacred without bloodshed, without violence, and without the need to scapegoat a human victim. Ultimately, it offers hope of a world beyond the cycle of mimetic violence and scapegoating through which entire civilizations were conceived and sustained. It points forward to peaceful, bloodless rituals which are able to stifle mimetic violence without a human scapegoat. This new, non-violent way of dealing with mimetic rivalry is really the legacy of Aaron and his sons. As we read on in chapter 17, further proof is offered for Aaron's unique position of priestly authority. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one for each father's house, from all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi, for there shall be one staff for the head of the father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you, and the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all the chiefs gave their staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs, and Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs before the Lord to all the people of Israel. And they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony, to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, as the Lord commanded him, so he did. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish, we are undone, we are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? 
The staff test identifies Aaron and his sons as the Lord's chosen priest, who alone are equipped to manage the primitive sacred without scapegoating. Like the censers of the rebellious 250 elders serve as a sign upon the altar, Aaron's buttered staff is kept as a sign, legitimating his privileged position to those who might otherwise rebel against him. If the people refuse to accept Aaron's authority as priest and continue to grumble against the Lord, mimetic violence will be allowed to propagate within the community. Only Aaron and his sons may offer sacrifices to the Lord, lest the primitive sacred break out in wrath against them. This passage and the rebellion of Levites in the previous chapter highlights the importance of correctly assigning duties to Aaron's descendants and the Levites who serve at the tabernacle. Chapter 18 addresses these issues. So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity connected with your priesthood, and with you bring your brothers also the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may join you and minister to you while you and your sons are with you before the tent of testimony. They shall keep guard over you and over the whole tent, but you shall not come near the vessels of the sanctuary or to the altar, lest they and you die. They shall join you and keep guard over the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, and no outsider shall come near you, and you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, that there may never again be wrath upon the people of Israel. Aaron's sons must bear the iniquity associated with the sanctuary and priesthood. We've already seen this phrase before, bearing iniquity or sin, and noted that this idea marks a group of scapegoats. On numerous occasions, Aaron has managed to foil the community's attempts to scapegoat him. This is what sets capital offenders apart from the priesthood. Capital offenders bear their sin and that of the entire community through their own execution. In contrast, the priesthood bear the community's sin, but alleviate this burden through ritual means, which enables them to survive. In the previous chapter, Aaron and his sons survive the mimetic crisis while Korah, Dathan and Abiram die. Then we saw Aaron atone for the people's sin and save the community through a bloodless incense rite. Because Aaron's sons have the special ability to survive the primitive sacred, they alone are able to serve and offer sacrifices in the tabernacle. If any outsider usurps their position, the wrath of the primitive sacred may break out among the people. For this reason, the Levites must guard the sacred space from any unauthorized intruders. The Levites and the priesthood rely upon the people's tithes and sacrifices for food because they receive no inheritance within the land. Again, this detail sets apart the priests and the Levites from the rest of their community. This lack of inheritance is consistent with the Levites and the priests' role as communal scapegoats. Unlike the rest of their community who each dwell upon their allotted land, the priests and the Levites dwell in the realm of the primitive sacred. In this way, they mirror Moses dwelling in the presence of the Lord on Mount Sinai. 
Just as Moses was scapegoated by the people, so the priests and Levites are scapegoats in waiting. However, the priests and the Levites are somewhat negative images of each other. While the Levites' mastery of violence identifies them as communal scapegoats, the priesthood's ability to alleviate the burden of sin through non-violent ritual means has allowed each of these groups to survive mimetic violence within the community. In a sense, these two groups are two sides of the one coin. The Levites embody the sacred violence which purges sin from the community, while the priesthood looks forward to a new way, a way of resolving mimetic rivalry and violence through ritual, peaceful means. Over time, the very things which identified the Levites and the priesthood as communal scapegoats become the very things for which they are venerated. Eventually, the execution of the priests and Levites becomes unthinkable as they are venerated and respected within their community. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.